Thank you for listening to today's message. Avenue Church is a Christian church located in Las Vegas. For more information, visit avenuechurch.cc. Enjoy the message. Because we are in the middle, the middle, right in the middle of the book of James. We are getting closer and closer to the finish line. And I get to share a portion of James with you this morning. So I'm super excited about that. We're in a series called This Is Living Now. And the whole book of James is geared toward the believer. See, James is talking to church folks, and he's saying there are some things in our lives that we need to discuss because there is a Christian life. There's a fullness, not a fullness that you reach after your life here on earth, not a fullness that you reach after a season or after a storm. No, there's a fullness of life that you can live now. Uh And so although James is kind of poking the bear a little bit, if you will, dealing with some things on our inside, he's saying, I want you to get a vision. I want you to get a picture in your mind that life can be more than what it is now Uh in your life. He wants us to live life as it should be. So we had to deal with some things through James, didn't we? We had to deal with the temptation not to quit when times get tough, but to have joy in whatever circumstance that comes our way. We had to deal with the anger inside of us. Some got a little bit of Hulk brewing in us and we had to learn what it meant to be slow to speak, quick to listen. We had to be honest with ourselves about sitting in church Sunday after Sunday. Being at home or hearing the word on a podcast and hearing it, reading it, listening to it, but not applying it. We had to deal with that. See, James is telling the Christian there's so much more to life now. I think sometimes we just think that we can't wait to get to heaven because we want to escape what's going on now. But God is saying, I'm here now. There's things I want to do now. And I want to use you to do incredible things now. So in James chapter 4, man... He does not hold back. See, God used people to write the Bible. He would use men and they would write down the inspiration that God would give them. And so here is this Christian leader and God is just speaking to him, speaking to him, speaking to him. And I'm like, let up, James. You already dealt with so much, man. Can you, how much more correction can I take? Can we be done? He's like, no, we can't be done. We're not there yet because in order to experience this fullness, with some stuff and you're like bro we have dealt with stuff i've been dealing with stuff for the first three chapters and you're telling me in chapter four we're not done yet see i want to give you a disclaimer for this message all right about a month ago pastor jeremy came to me and he said by the way you're going to be speaking in july and me being the submissive wife i said sure i said no i really didn't i was like okay (laughs) and he gave me two options he gave me option a and he gave me option b and i chose option b He used a word to describe what the portion of text would be like, and I said, ooh, I could have fun with that. Let me give you a little insight into the life of a preacher. We like to preach. And so when there's a scripture that you're like, ooh, or a topic, mm, I could rock that. I could have fun with that. And when he said that word, ideas started flooding my mind. But when I started reading what James was saying, I picked the wrong option. (laughs) Should have gone with option A. Don't you hate that? Like, let's make a deal. You're like, do I do the envelope or do I do the door? The envelope, the door. The envelope has $600, but what's behind that door? It's like a stuffed animal. You're like, dang it, I should have took the envelope. Right? This is going to be tough today. It was tough for me when I read it. 
It was tough for me when I went line by line, word by word, verse by verse, because, ooh, James didn't hold back. No, he didn't. God speaking through James did not hold back. So I'm going to ask a favor of you today. I'm going to ask if you would with me have a conversation like you're having it with a close friend. We all should have that close friend in our lives that doesn't just tell us the things we need or we want to hear, but tells us the things we need to hear. We all need to have that close friend in our lives that knows us but still loves us. Amen? Amen. So I'm asking you to treat this word this morning as that close friend who may be having a little bit difficult of a conversation with you, but loves you so, so much. And they want more for your life. But we gotta talk about this if we wanna move forward to fullness. And a good friend doesn't want you to stay where you're at. A good friend doesn't want you to take two steps forward, three steps back. A good friend wants to take your hand and walk with you forward. And so my prayer is that you would let this word be that friend this morning. Can you do that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And I just pray, Father, that we feel the love of God in this place. That, Father, you would speak to us. It would be you that touches our heart. I am simply a human messenger. I am flawed. I am imperfect. But your word is true. Your word is perfect. It is inspired. It is living. It is active. And I am simply delivering it. So I ask for clarity. And I ask for it to be received. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, let's do this. James chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to that. If you've got your version app, you can punch that. James chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Church people are fighting. Can you imagine that? Y'all thought we'd come by y'all on the weekends, and we love each other all the time, and we're just besties, and everything's roses and butterflies, and woo! Church is awesome. It is awesome, but it's filled with people, and sometimes there's problems. So what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires within you? Next scripture. You want what you don't have. And so you scheme and you kill to get it. Wow. You're jealous of what you, what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Next. Yet you don't have what you don't want because you don't ask God for it. Let's talk about this for a minute. He is saying that there's fighting happening between people who love Jesus and people who, who love each other, but maybe not fully love each other. Or we're conflicted, right? We're human, we're spirit, but they're fighting. And the way that he's saying that you are killing people and you are waging wars, it's not with our hands or our fists that we're fighting. He's talking about it's with your words that you're fighting. It's with your thoughts that you're fighting. It's not man-made weapons. It's not one Sunday after church, you looked at me wrong and sh- I shaped you. Right in the lobby, right outside the two and three-year-old room. That's just gross. It's <laughs> not so what he's talking about. He's saying in our words, and our thoughts, and our heart, we're killing one another. We're waging war on one another. And so I want to talk about what's causing these battles. Because he's asking, what's causing these battles among church people, among brothers and sisters in Christ? Isn't it that desire in you? You want what you don't have, so 
you go after it, you take it. See, James is talking about a battle that begins with envy. Envy, I want to break down for you what envy is. Envy is defined as a grudging regard for the advantages seen to be enjoyed by others. Let me say it again. A grudging regard, meaning you're not happy about it. It's a grudge, it's a dissatisfaction, it's upsetting. And it's for the advantages that you see somebody else enjoying. So envy begins in the eyes. Okay. It begins in what you see other people enjoying. If you look at the root word of the word envy, it means to look closely. Okay. But then it means to look with malicious intent. Wow. We're looking closely at what other people have. And then it's stirring up emotions and it's what change it to malicious intent that I'm not happy for you. In fact, when I see what you have, it's making me think of what I don't have. And I want what you have. We have the opportunity to be envious in all kinds of situations, in our families, in our workplaces, maybe it's our coworker, or our employers, even in our church family. We desire those same enjoyments for us. Now hear me, it's not wrong to see something that somebody has and desire it. It's not wrong to see somebody driving a brand new SUV. And while I'm in my Chevy Impala, gangsters or old folks drive Chevy Impalas. I don't know which one I am yet, but I drive a Chevy Impala. <laughs> they're reliable and they're big. I could hide a body in my trunk, don't worry about it. <laughs> gangsters or old folks. <laughs> But maybe I want that SUV. It's not wrong to put a desire in me that one day maybe I could, I could do that. It's not even wrong to look at relationships that other people have and desire to have a relationship like that. Maybe you're a parent and you see relationships that other parents have with their children. You see joy. You see closeness. You see just an amazing, amazing communication taking place in this family of mutual respect and excitement. And you're like, I don't have that right now with my children. In fact, I wanted to kill my children on the way here to church, but I want that. It's even okay to look at a husband and a wife and look at the relationship, see the partnership, see the love. I remember I, I had pastors years ago, man, he still flirted with his wife, they've been married 30 years, and I'm like, I wanna flirt with Jeremy in 30 years. I want, even though I like turned my head a couple times, but I wanted that. It's not wrong to look at other people and what they have and let it spark some hope, spark some inspiration. Now you can't have their husband and you can't have a wife. That's just wrong. I don't want you desiring their spouse. <laughs> But they could be something that you look forward to, thinking I can have that one day. Maybe you're in a marriage now and you're like, oh, I wish I could talk to him like she talks to her husband. And it's work, but you can have it too. So that's okay. It's what happens with envy is when envy takes those desires, the problem is that it gives us negative emotions towards others. That's when it becomes a problem. The desire itself isn't necessarily a problem until you begin having negative emotions towards other people. Look at the root meaning of the word again. It says, look closely. Can I give you one word of life advice? One thought that you can take and you can run with for the rest of your life. Don't look at people too closely. Don't look at their things too closely. Do not spend so much time looking at what others have. And that's hard, isn't it? 
especially with Facebook. Let's talk about social media for a moment. We scroll. We scroll up and down all day long, and we see people's highlights. Rarely does a person put the bad picture up. Sometimes they do. But we see the highlights of their vacation, the highlights of the date day with their spouse, the highlights of their new piece of furniture that they got in their home. We see the highlights. But the problem is, is if we have an envious heart at that moment, we start thinking, hmm, I didn't know he got a boat. How do you afford that boat? Or, oh, they, they hung out? They took a, a selfie at Grimaldi's. I didn't even know they were friends. <laughs> oh, they went on that family trip. I didn't know they made that much money. I thought that I'd like to go on that trip, but I know that I can't afford it, so how are they affording it? Do you know that the average American spends 50 minutes on social media a day? 50 minutes. Between whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, we spend 50 minutes looking at other people's lives. They've done a study and they believe that at the end of your lifetime, you're going to have spent five years and four months on social media. So if you live to be about 80, 85 years old, five years and four months of your life would have been spent looking at somebody else's life. It's too much. It's too much. Now take that 50 minutes, if you will. What if we flipped it and we spent that time focusing on the Lord? What if we spent that 50 minutes reading our Bible? Now let me be honest with you, it's hard to sit down and read the Bible for 50 minutes straight. Unless you really, really like to read, that's a little bit much, okay? Now if you want excitement, and you want some, some crazy relationship stuff, if you go to the Old Testament, that's pretty enticing, that's pretty crazy stuff that happened there. You could probably read that for 50 minutes. But what if we broke it down? What if we say 25 minutes reading my Bible? 15 minutes listening to my favorite worship music in a room by myself where I'm just there with the Lord and I'm allowing Him to minister to me. I'm singing out songs to Him despite what my voice may sound like. You gotta sing. And 10 minutes in prayer. 25 minutes word, 15 minutes in prayer, or worship, 10 minutes in prayer. That's 50 minutes. That'll knock out an envious heart. When we start focusing on the Word of God, the Word of God puts it back on us. We learn about how much the Lord loves us, cares for us, has plans and dreams for us far beyond anything we can imagine, is there with us when I'm feeling pain, when I'm feeling frustrated, when I'm feeling that I don't have enough. And then the mirror of the Bible just shines back at me and says, Linz, what are you doing about it? But no, I, I, we choose as a nation to just keep scrolling. Just keep scrolling. And that could be destructive if we have an envious heart. Again, envy comes when desire takes on a negative emotion towards others. He said, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them with our mouth, with our heart, with our mind. See, envy isn't just about what you see, it's about what you think. It says envy has affected your mind when you're dwelling on something. When you can't get it out of your head, you're just thinking, you're asking way too many questions. You're analyzing, you're, you're dwelling on it. Be careful because then your thought process that can order your steps. Your thought process, hear me, can change your heart. Even the sweetest of hearts can be bittered by envy. 
Even the kindest, sweetest, most thoughtful people in the world can be bittered by envy. We have to guard our hearts. See, there's this famous scripture. If you were ever married by Jeremy and I, we used it in your wedding. <laughs> it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love verse. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Isn't that incredible? Envy made it to the top three. Paul's communicating to us. Hear me, that scripture is not just for husbands and wives. It's for all the church to love one another that way, okay? It's just pretty in a way. But it's for all of us. Disclaimer. Tough read. So if we say we love people, oh, I love her. But we have envy towards them, you are not loving them. It is impossible to have envy and to have love towards somebody. They can't be apart. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. We can't love people if we envy them. So let's look back at the scripture. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Wow. That's what he's saying. You're looking at people and you're seeing what they have. And when envy is in our hearts, we think, well, we deserve that too. I've worked you don't ask God for it. So you think, okay, I gotta pray about it. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would bless me with a 60 inch big screen TV. Because God, it would just benefit my life. It would benefit my football season. I could, I could have more friends over in Jesus' name. That could be my small group. 60 inches, Lord, for your glory. Amen. But then James, he doesn't mess with you. He doesn't take your junk that you're thinking in your head. This is what he says. He says, you need to ask the Lord. You don't have it because you don't ask for it. And he says that when you even ask for it, you don't get it. Because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Oh. Think about that for a minute. You don't have what you want. You're looking what others have. You don't have it because you don't pray for it. But when you do pray for it, you're not going to get it because you're not asking with the right motive. If you're a parent, you've had a child ask you for something. It doesn't matter how sweet that package of ask comes. Right? If you know the motive, son, you're full of junk. Walk away. <laughs> you're not getting it. Let's talk in Christmas. When's Christmas? Six months from now. <laughs> Then you see the intention. Then you see the motive, right? Same thing with us. God is so awesome. He's not like a human in that maybe you could fool us on the outside. Maybe you could put up a front, but God is saying, I know the innermost part of your being. I made that being. I know that heart. I know that personality. I know the struggle that is inside of you. And I know that even though you're asking me, I know that even if it's hard for you to ask me for this, I need your heart to be in the right place before I give that to you. Because at the end of the day, it's more important how your heart is versus what you receive. It's more important that your heart is in the right place and that I'm doing a healing work in your heart before I give you that which you asked for. We got a good father. He doesn't want a bunch of spoiled children. Poor people don't know how to love. They don't know how to be selfless or selfless. They don't know how to sacrifice and give of themselves. And 
God is saying, I need to make sure your heart is okay when you're asking me for some things. See, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, they're looking for a king. So Samuel's been out to go find a new king. And he found the most good-looking, tall, strapping, strong one. And God spoke this to Samuel. He said, do not judge him by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wow. So we may think that everything on the outside of us is deserving. Our work ethic, our commitment, our faithfulness. Yet God is saying, if there's some heart issues in you, like envy, I, I, I can't pour that out on you right now. I want to get you healthy so you can really use all the good things that I want to pour out into your life. So we think James is done when he hits us upside the head with envy. Friends, he's not done. <laughs> he says this in verse 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride. See, envy is like a little itty-bitty cousin of pride. Pride is your big monster. James is saying there's division in this church. There's division in the body of Christ. And they are fighting and quarreling. And they're wanting things that aren't theirs. And their hearts are not right because we have a pride problem. He said God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proud people rely on themselves. They rely on their own abilities. And they seek out glory recognition for themselves. Not necessarily for the Lord. See, opposes, when it says that God opposes, that kind of scares me. When I told you this message wrecked me, it wrecked me. Because it said God opposes the proud. That word oppose means to stand against. Uh -huh. So when we get frustrated, when we get upset and angry, thinking that we should be somewhere else than where we are over here, when we think that we should have had that promotion already, but so-and-so just isn't acknowledging my abilities. They're overlooking what I have to offer. Did you ever think that maybe it's God opposing you and not a person that is? That's hard. That's hard. It's hard to think that there might be something behind the opposition that I'm facing. Those doors that I'm knocking on, shoot, I'm straight kicking them, and they're not budging. If we have a pride issue, it may not be that it's a human, a family member, a person, a church member holding that door closed on you. It might be God saying, I wanna let you in. Oh. I'm right at this door, I'm right on the other side, and God, I want to open it. But you're not ready for me to open it. You're not ready, because your heart's not right. But if you get your heart right, I'm not going to just peek open this door, I'm going to open it wide. And I'm going to walk you through to this area, and there's going to be awesome things that happen. Sure, there's challenges, but you're going to grow. And if your heart stays right, guess what? I'm going to open this door too. And we're going to walk through this together. But be thankful that we have a God that's not going to take us further than what we can handle. 
And hear me, that's even promotion. God doesn't want to promote a heart that's not ready. You want to know why? Because hearts that are promoted when they're not ready, they hurt people. They hurt people. Imagine a person placed in leadership that doesn't have a humble heart that truly loves people. Imagine the influence that they have on their lives of people, maybe five, maybe 10, maybe a hundred. Imagine the damage they can do. If this ain't right, it could hurt. So how do I know if I'm struggling with pride? Because that's part of what we're like, I'm good. Because <laughs> that's tough what she's describing. I'm not exactly there yet. Like, if there's like green, yellow, red, I'm like a light, light yellow. Hmm. How do I know I'm struggling with pride? Let me ask you a couple questions. Are you fault finding? Let me explain what that means. While pride causes us to filter out the evil we see in ourselves, we filter it out. It also causes us to filter out God's goodness in others. And we sift them, we sift people, just like you sift flour when you're making a cake. You sift things, you sift gold, you get the dirt away from the gold nuggets. You sift people and you no longer see the goodness, you only see the faults in them. If you find yourself finding fault in others, you may be dealing with a pride issue. A harsh spirit. Those who have the sickness of pride in their hearts speak of others' sins with contempt, irritation, frustration, or judgment. Pride is crouching inside of our belittling of the struggles of others. Superficiality. When pride lives in our hearts, we're far more concerned with others' perception of us than the reality of our hearts. So we're not necessarily paying attention to who I really am and what my heart really looks like. I'm more concerned with how other people are seeing me. Do they see that issue in me? We fight the sins that we have an impact on how others view us. So we fight the sins that others see, but we don't really deal with the sins that might be unseen by people. It's superficiality. Defensiveness. Those who stand in the strength of Christ's righteousness alone find a confident hiding place from the attacks of men and Satan alike. But true humility is not knocked off balance or thrown into a defensive posture by challenge or rebuke, but instead humility sees that there's a good work being done and it entrusts their soul to God. But if you're dealing with a prideful spirit, defensiveness, when somebody comes at me with a correction, fists go up, walls go up. I'm not taking that, even if it's in love. If we have pride, we're not receiving it. Walls are going up, we're defensive. Presumption before God. Humility approaches God with assurance in Christ Jesus. If either the humble or the assurance are missing, meaning if I'm not humble or I don't have this assurance of who Jesus Christ is in me and who I am in him, if they're missing in the equation, our hearts very might well be infected with pride. Some of us have no shortage of boldness going before God. But if we're not careful, we might forget that we're actually talking to God. So what is presumption before God? You talk a little bit too disrespectfully to him. God wants you to approach him as a friend. I was a youth pastor for years. I told kids, God really wants you to, to tell him who you are. He wants to hear you even when you're angry. 
But if you don't respect who he is, you don't realize that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the beginning and the end. In one word, he creates things. One word. In one movement, he can bring about mountains, seas, oceans, wipe out things. He's God. And when we begin to speak to him as if we know more than him, we might have a pride problem. Desperation for attention. Pride is hungry for attention, respect, and worship in all its forms. And last but not least, you might have a pride issue if you're neglecting others. Pride prefers some people over others. It honors those who the world deems worthy of honor. So pride will look for people of position and replace them as worthy, more worthy than others. They give more weight to their words, their wants, their needs. There's a thrill that goes through me when people with power acknowledge me. We consciously or unconsciously pass over the weak, the inconvenient, and the unattractive because they don't seem to offer us much. So if you find yourself neglecting others who may be of low status and only going to those who have power, you may have a pride problem. David said this, King David, he's known at the man's, he's known as the man after God's own heart, but David had a lot of screw-ups. David murdered somebody whose wife he had slept with, who he impregnated with his child. Where? Then he murdered the husband. And then he acted like it was no big deal. Yes, he, he continued leading. He continued doing things and praying and acting like ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm still worthy. I'm still good. Until one day somebody loved him enough to call him out on it. And this is what David's response is. Not after the deed, but after someone sat down and said, I'm a close friend. I love you. But we need to talk some stuff out. Because this is what you did. Something's wrong with your heart. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Strong people ask God to look at their hearts. You see, we have battles. We have battles, and battles are typically fought between two forces. Battles are usually combat. But I want you to know that we have these battles of envy. We have these battles of pride, of anger. We, we fight these battles, but I want you to know they're part of a bigger picture. They're part of a war. The Bible tells us that there's an enemy fighting after our soul. That there is righteous and there is worldly. There is God and there is Satan. So while we may be fighting battles, there's actually a bigger war going on. So what I want to appeal to you today is can we stop wasting time on the battles? Can we stop wasting time and energy and effort on fighting these one-on-one -on -one fights? Can we just end the war? If you had an option to keep fighting battles for the next 10 years, or today end a war, what would you choose? End a war. I would hope you would want to end a war. Why walk out of here one more day? Still fighting battles. Here's what I love about God. Here's what I love about his word. Is that he never tells you what's wrong without telling you how to get out of it. He never sits you down and says, I want to have a hard conversation with you. Without saying, let me show you the exit plan. Your house is on fire. 
Your heart is being damaged. It's getting smoked. Let me show you how to get out. Let me show you where the exit is. And right here in this same chapter 4, God gives James a strategy to share with you today. He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. We're all sinners. Don't feel bad about that. He didn't just call you a name. He just said what it is. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. He said, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Now hear me, that sounds hard. But when we know that something's not right in our lives and the Holy Spirit begins to work on us, that just means if you're feeling something and you're like, I am uncomfortable, it's not me. It's not Lindsay Bosma. It is God doing something on the inside of you. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you had a promise of God that the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, to make his home in your heart. And if your home has cracks in it, if your home is getting black mold on your walls, God is saying, I want to clean this up for you. God is saying, come on, let's do a little renovation inside. Not because I want a better dwelling place. I chose you when you were imperfect. Do you get that? God in all his glory who made you out of dust decided I'm not going to make my home in heaven. I'm going to come reside in you. Despite the ugliness that we have in us, God says you are my dwelling place. So it says, wash your hands. Purify your hearts. When you should feel that feeling, it doesn't feel good. There's grief, there's mourning. But God says, if you humble yourselves, I'm going to lift you up in honor. Some of you have never experienced honor. Honor. You're worthy. You're righteous. You're made in the image of God. Wow. You see, sometimes we think of humility as weakness. Men, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes you have a hard time with this. Because you are tough and you are strong. When someone tells me to be humble, humble means to take a low position. When someone tells me to get low, this doesn't look very strong, does it? But I'm telling you, it takes more strength to be humble than to stand in pride. There you go. It takes more strength to realize that I need to rely on the Lord to be the man of God that I need to be. Humility is not weakness. Humility is not being a doormat for other people to walk over you. That's not humility. Humility is not taking a back seat in life. Humility is knowing your place. And I wrote some things down. I want to share it with you. My place is that I'm a sinner saved by grace. My place is that my marriage, my family, the way it operates is only because Jesus is at the center of my life. My place is that when I am weak, he is strong. My place is that I am a child of God, adopted into his family. Not anything that I have done, but because of everything he's done. You want to talk about humility? Talk about the creator of the universe who was enthroned in glory. When the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw him high and lifted up. It said that his robe was so large that it filled the temple. People were singing, holy, holy 
is the Lord God of hosts. He left that. God left that. He humbled himself to become flesh. And not just a foreign type of flesh. He came in the size of a baby. A helpless baby. Skin and flesh. All the time. Just so that he could live a sinless, blameless life. Never once. Never once corrupting who he was. All to end up on a piece of wood. A cross. So that you and I could be redeemed. So that his blood would cleanse you. So that you could be here in Avenue today and call upon his name. Humble yourself before him. He is never going to ask you to do something that he hasn't done himself. He left all that he had to be here to save us. Come on, somebody. right now you don't need to humble yourself before God you're all right truth is you're not all right if you're thinking you're all right you're not all right we all can humble ourselves before the Lord we can come close to him and he will draw near to us we can say God without you it ain't worth living I'm nothing but with you God I can conquer some things with you I can do all kinds of things and I repent and the outcome is you will be lifted up in honor I'm going to ask us today as a church to take the position of humility. And I don't know what that looks like for you. In a moment, we're going to turn down the lights. We're going to praise. We're going to worship. But maybe some of us need to come forward and take a humble position before God and say, I've been struggling. This heart of mine isn't where it needs to be. What I love about Jesus is he is not going to reject you when you take a humble position. He never once pushes away somebody who comes to him with his mistake. There was a woman who was sleeping with a man that was not her husband. And some church folks found her. They didn't give her the decency to put her clothes on. They grabbed her naked. There's nothing more humiliating. You want to talk about humble? Let's talk about being naked in front of a room of people. And they bring her into the temple, they bring her into the church, and they throw her down to the ground, and they say, I found her sleeping with somebody else's husband. She's an adulteress. The law says that we can kill her. Stones and all, what's she going to do about it, Jesus? What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't stone her. Jesus didn't take this woman in a, in a humility-like situation and say, you are dirty, you are shameful, woman, get a robe on. He said, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. See, some of you, I don't know what kind of house you grew up in. If you weren't allowed to make mistakes, I don't know what kind of culture you grew up in where everything has to look perfect, but I'm telling you, God already knows you're imperfect. So when you come to him and humble yourself, he ain't pushing you or kicking you away. He's not saying, I told you so. He's saying, I love you. Come to me and I'm going to heal you. Repent and I'm going to forgive you. Come to me when you're weak, I'm going to be your strength. So if we could, production team, bring down the lights. We're going to open up this altar. We've got prayer team members. If you need someone to embrace you, someone to pray with you that I don't even know what to say to God. Some of you have never even prayed because you don't know how. Let somebody else pray.
pray for you. But we're going to take the next three minutes and we're going to position ourselves and say, God, what in me is not glorifying you? I need you, Lord. So, Nicole, would you go ahead and leave us? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you'd like to know more details, you can visit our website at avenuechurch.cc or follow us on social media at Avenue LV Church. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.